domestic terrorist organization, Jane's Revenge, declares open season on pro-life organizations and advocates. Join us on Concern Women today as we talk to the executive director of Capitol Hill Pregnancy Center that was also targeted by Jane's Revenge. And we will work through what's going to happen next after Dobbs, what's the best way for Christians to uh, support women in need, and what's happening around our nation. Strong women, smart policy, solid theology, and no apology. This is Concerned Women Today with Penny Young Nance, CEO and President of Concerned Women for America, the largest public policy organization for women in the nation. Joining me today is the Executive Director of Capitol Hill Pregnancy Center for 19 years yeah. is Janet Durig. And Janet, we were just discussing how that we have a couple of organizations uh, that are targeting crisis pregnancy centers, pregnancy care centers, and of course, Concerned Women for America has had our own vandalism and, th and threatening acts and someone who's been threatening our staff. But your specific uh, organization and building was targeted. So tell us a little bit about first, what you've done, what you do, and then tell us about what happened recently. Oh, okay. Thank you so much. Uh, well, what the Capitol Hill pregnancy does is obviously helps people in pregnancies, mm -hmm. and that's not limited to women. That also can include men because um, we help people before they're, um, they come for a pregnancy test. Everything we do is at no cost. Uh, they, um, people can come for material support. They don't have to have come to us before they had the baby and they learn about us. They need, they need help. help. Mm -hmm. So they, um, they come to the center. I have a lot of single dads. The, the girls gave their, their girlfriends or past girlfriends gave birth to their baby and didn't want it. And the boy has taken over with his mother sometimes. Yeah. So it's a variety. I used to think that the uh, pregnancy center work was a pregnancy as a pregnancy as a pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And everybody just was a certain way. And it's just like our lives are your mine, everybody else's, everybody has their own story. Mm -hmm. And so we're working within each one of their stories one by one. Well, and I understand like you do have amazing stories. Tell us a little bit about one of those and the kind of people that you serve or how, well, what it looks like. Just the other night I was at the center and um, I was teaching a class upstairs, training some client volunteers. And I, um, the client advocate that was helping someone downstairs with material support came upstairs and said, I, I don't know how to handle this. And I said, what's going on? And I excused myself and went downstairs with her. And in our, while we were walking, she explained that the girl had gotten a text in the middle of describing all the needs that she has and how we would be able to help her. Would we be able to help her? And she said that the text said that the father of the baby who never wanted her to have the baby had pushed her for an abortion and she chose life. He had come and taken the baby and their text said, I have her and you will not see her till she's 21. And I walked in the room and, the, and she was sobbing and I, I just gently touched her shoulder and said something along the lines of, we're here to help you tell me what's happening. And she just wrapped her arms around my waist and buried her head on my chest and sobbed for I don't know how long. And then I sat down and, and asked her a couple of questions. And I said, who was keeping your baby while you came to get these supplies? And she said, my mother. And I said, do you know if he had a paper with him? And she said, um, she said yes, she, she, he presented a paper and said to my mother, it was a court order that he now has custody. And so I said, call your mother 
and find out if there was a caseworker or a policeman with, with him. And she said, okay. And so she did. And she, it turned out that he had handed her a piece of paper that was a phony. And I said, well, that's not legitimate. And we ex I explained the law on that and explained it. And I said, so tomorrow, I'm going to give you a phone number. And first thing tomorrow morning, you call Christian Legal Aid and, and ask them to help you with this. Well, in the meantime, when she went home with that information, she ended up uh, being able to look him and, you know, to confront him and say, this is, you lied, this is, and she got her baby back. But just the trauma of those few moments, I've never handled a situation like that before. So that's what I'm saying. You think we handle all, everything's the same, but it's not. Look at her right. particular situation. Well, and, you know, I, I have volunteered at all kinds of different pro-life organizations. <laughs> I was involved with a group called Birth Mothers when I was a, a young mom with little children at home. And, you know, I wasn't working outside the home, but I wanted to give back in some way. And so through my church, I would get connected. Birth Mothers would connect a mother who was in need with a specific church. And then the church had people that were designated volunteers within the organization. So I would get a call on a Sunday night that there was, you know, a young woman that needed to go um, to work on Monday and her boyfriend was going to keep their little baby. And um, she didn't have any formula, mm -hmm. which I guess we're hearing that story right. over and over <laughs> now. Right. And so my friend Stacy and I would hop in my car and we'd go to Costco and we'd buy a big thing of formula, a big thing of diapers. And then we'd take it over to her house and she would be living in a three bedroom right. apartment, renting one room with her boyfriend. And I'd walk in, I was telling my daughter this story the other day and it almost makes me cry, but I just, they were so proud of their baby. Like every <clears throat> feeling that this little couple had is the exact same feeling that all of us have as new parents. And they were so proud of their baby. And, you know, they'd just be grinning from ear to ear and they're just trying to figure it all out and they're poor and, um, and, and they, but they love their baby and they want to, they want that baby to thrive and they want that baby to, you know, in have great opportunity right. in life, which is why they were here by the way. And, um, and so I would pray over that baby and we'd give them, you know, what we brought them. And then I would invite them to our church because our church had a ministry specifically to connect with them. And, um, and it was just so sweet. It was really some of the most pro-life things I've ever done. I mean, I've been on the front line of policy, but I think you are on the front line of the pro-life movement and all CW, CW has activists that are volunteers in these pregnancy care centers. There are thousands of, there's like 800 Planned Parenthood clinics, brick and mortar around the country. There are about three or 4,000 private, not even counting all the public resources, pregnancy care centers in this nation that do everything from like you were helping with legal efforts right there, but also uh, healthcare and, you know, not just the sonograms, but post, you know, baby healthcare and job training and resources and sometimes even taking women to their home. And so that's what the other side doesn't get the other side thinks that you know that our as pro-life americans that we're really only concerned about um the woman while she's pregnant and only concerned about the child in utero and really it's the opposite that is projection on their part planned parenthood wants their right. five six hundred dollars and then they're done with them right they don't ever want to see them again they don't even want to do any follow-up aftercare if there's an injury they want them to you know go somewhere else we are actually the people right. who have spent our lives um, being in community and encouragement and love and support in every single way you can think of 
of people who have, you know, in many cases, very messy lives. And so it, it, I really just so appreciate what you do. And I really do feel like I said to another organization one time, you know, I really wouldn't have the confidence to go make the strong pitch for life and defunding Planned Parenthood and all those things if I didn't know all the resources, all the community health centers, all the work that is, is available, all the efforts that are available that you're doing. So I just thank you, Janet. Well, you are welcome. You are so welcome. You know, at the center, you know, we have an extensive program. We, we are able to help people, not just at that time of a pregnancy test, not just at the time when she has the baby and needs clothing and supplies, a high chair, a saucer, you know, any, any baby equipment that they need. Did you know, by the, by the way, that um, in D.C., a child can sleep in a pack and play for one year till she's t she or he's a year no, old? I didn't know that. And so many of these uh, young people or the mothers mm -hmm. live in very small spaces. Mm -hmm. And so pack and plays are a treasure for people to donate to the Capitol Hill Pregnancy oh. Center. Uh, just to put everybody listen to that, you know, at some yeah. point you have your last one, you got to do something with it. So and uh, but one of the things that we we developed years ago is a pretty extensive parenting program. We're in 14 high schools with teen parenting. We have five group homes that, in fact, one of our group homes last the last two years has, they happen to be in a location with a really big yard. And Carolyn Johnson is the teacher there and she mm -hmm. does that, it's in the evenings. So she developed that, taught them how to grow their own food. For the last two years, they've been eating tomatoes, kale, a lima beans, name several other wow. vegetables something they've never, ever done before, something they've never learned. So that's- Wait, Tell us what a group home is exactly, because I have an home, idea of what I think that is. A group home but. in Washington, D.C. is a group is where mothers um, with their children can live while they search for a job. But in the process, they learned, they have people like us come in to do a parenting class. Um, they have other people come in to help them with resume building and those types mm -hmm. of things. So that, that's a program in the city. That's a great program. And we're guests actually. there. We are guests there by, and blessed to be able to teach parenting. So we have that. And we also have a program that um, is actually very valuable. And that's post-abortion healing. Because there are many people, men and women, who do regret having abortions in their past. And it's a very confidential ministry. And people can call us and I, we connect them to the right person. And then from there, we know nothing. I never know who's in those groups mm -hmm. and who's healing from those, those past abortions. That was something that just came up yesterday. We were in front of the Supreme Court waiting for the Dobbs decision to come down. And uh, one of the things I was asked by, uh, by a member of the media is, you know, do we even know like how much post-abortion trauma there is out there? Mm -hmm. and, how, and, I, and I said, no, because it's not been studied, but I am proud of the fact that we're leaning into it. I mean, what's your feeling on that? I mean, it's common, well, let me, let right? Me, well, let me put it this way. I'm obviously, it's a Christian ministry at the Capitol Hill Pregnancy Center. So I'm invited to churches, right? And, and if I'm given the whole sermon time, or if I'm given five minutes, whatever it is I'm given, the last thing I usually say is, by the way, one other program that we have at the Capitol Hill Pregnancy Center is post-abortion healing for people who have now lived to regret that. And they they carry a burden and they need to be healed from it. And it's a biblical based program. I've never left a church that I haven't had at least two people. It doesn't have to be a woman. It could be a man mm -hmm. that I've never left a church. And I've been there 19 years that 
two, at least two people haven't whispered in my ear, I'm that person you were talking about. Can I have your card? Well, and I know those women too. I mean, there's yeah. women that are part of our organization that are volunteers in our field that, you know, again, have lived to regret their right. abortion there. I mean, I, I don't know who everyone, but I know people that have shared that and that's part of their testimony. I, I make a real effort, uh, a very concerted and I try to be very thoughtful about whenever I'm talking about abortion, that I talk about redemption. Mm -hmm. Because as a believer and follower of Jesus, someone who believes in redemption and the fact that Jesus right. died because we're all sinners, like I don't, no one's it needs to be stuck in that place. And it is Satan that wants them to carry around that burden and shame. And no one should ever have to do that. And that is why there's plenty of room at the foot of the cross right. <laughs> where I kneel every morning to confess my sin and ask for God's mercy and, and redemption. And so I love it that you're helping with the healing because it is, you know, there is real trauma, there is real depression. I, I've known people who have really really struggled. Um, and often it comes up after they have their first child, like, you know, they go through oh, yeah. life and kind of are able to push it down or in denial. And then they have their first child and then they remember. And it's That's right. You know, it's, it's sad. And so I want to make sure that we recognize that. And uh, I would urge any listeners that are dealing with that, come to your website. Absolutely. And, and, uh, and I don't know if you're connecting them with any kind of national ministry, but there are national ministries are. and we'd be, we'd be willing to help make sure people get connected for sure. So you can message CWA through concernwomen.org. Um, but we are all about that. Well, can I add something about when you brought up, when we're talking, as we're talking about abortion, I'd like to, to point out that in the client base of the Capitol Hill Pregnancy Center, those in the city, the socioeconomically challenged, uh, definitely uh, in the early years that I went there, I was taken aback by the number of abortions the young ladies were having. I mean, I, the first time that I was uh, sitting across from a client getting ready to preparing to give her a pregnancy test, um, one of our questions is, have you ever been pregnant before? Yes. And um, did you ever give birth before? No. Well, did you uh, have a stillbirth? Did you have a miscarriage? Did you have an abortion? Well, this one girl was 15 years old and she had already had five abortions. Mm -hmm. And I took everything, it took everything in my power not to, I mean, I was six months into mm -hmm. to my mm -hmm. work at the Capitol Hill Pregnancy Center and I was so taken aback. And then I thought, okay, Lord, you're gonna have to keep me peaceful in mm -hmm. this. And I continued to talk with her turned out she wasn't pregnant. She allowed me, we, we, everything we do when we meet with a client, we do ask their permission to talk about things. We ask their permission to show them the book that we get from Focus on the Family, the first nine months, which really teaches them if they're pregnant fetal and shows them the fetal, fetal mm -hmm. development. Mm -hmm. So it's all done with, with um, you know, asking permission. And I asked her if we could talk about those abortions and, and we talked about, and I showed her some, some things that she was only 15, but I still gave her a pamphlet that talked about the damage she could be doing to herself oh, at this course. point. Yes. And, um, and I, you know, talked with her about, you know, do you really want to get pregnant again? Mm -hmm. You know, do you want to go through another abortion? Because clearly you're using that as birth control. Mm -hmm. And that was the time that I realized that is what they were doing. They were using their, the large population within Washington, DC, these teenage girls are using it's, it's so easy for them to get, they're using abortion. Well, because Medicaid, you know, yes, they're, exactly. they're probably using Medicaid to pay yep. for the abortion. Um, 
you know, the number of 64 million babies who have been aborted since Roe v. Wade is an astronomical number. And so the the guess is that one in four women in the country who, you know, are of yeah. age or whatever have had an abortion. I don't think that's the right number because I don't think it takes into account what you just said, because because of sort of the normalization that the other side has made for abortion, there are a, there are a lot of people. In fact, I at one point I read the number, and I think it's higher than this now. It's like forty three percent of abortions were repeat abortions. This right. has been back in the nineties that I read that number. So I bet it's higher now. So I I you know I I would love for you to because you are you know you're running into clients who were abortion minded. And now they're coming to you. So what changed in between the two pregnancies? Well, sometimes it isn't that they're coming because something changed. Sometimes it's because it's a free pregnancy test. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it is that it has changed. And there is that there is that um, uh, innate regret sometimes of giving up a baby that they didn't think they'd feel. And we have seen that in many of our clients. And by as giving well. up, you mean by aborting their baby. By yes, aborting right. the baby. Well, yeah. and they talk about, you know, people who are, you know, psychologists, there's a lot written about mm -hmm. the replacement child. Mm -hmm. And so this is what I was trying to explain to someone. I was like, you know, you think that, you know, I I think, and you and I think that in Concerned Women for America believes that every single baby deserves life, Absolutely. regardless of the circumstances that it's being born to, regardless of race, regardless of its socioeconomic situation. Um, it deserves life, and we need Absolutely. to be a nation that welcomes life. But let's say you're not us, right? And you're right. somebody else. They're like they're poor. They shouldn't have a baby. It's you know it's a drain on resources, which I think is the most selfish, <laughs> dehumanizing argument. But people make it and they believe it. Um, but what I say to them is like, well, there's this thing called a replacement child, and truthfully just because you have one abortion doesn't mean you don't have a baby soon afterwards. I mean, I think that's, yeah, that's, that's a reality. That is a reality. That is a reality. But you've seen that over and over. We've seen it. Yeah. We've seen it over and over, but we've also seen the, the, what I just said, the young, the teenagers who mm -hmm. are getting abortion after abortion um, simply because that's what they think they should do. Mm -hmm. And it's somehow the relationship right. test too. But like you know, on the bright side of things, a lot of our clients, I mean, I had a client come to me a long time ago and, um, when I, I opened the door, I was a little frightened because she was um, very high mm -hmm. and I was there alone and I, it was before we opened and she said, she whispered, I need a pregnancy test. And long story short, I, we talked for a long time. I, I said, you're, you're high on something, aren't you? And she said, yes. And I said, could I take you somewhere to dry out? And she said, no. She said, I just need to know if I'm pregnant. And she said, I can't keep this baby, you know? And I said, why can't you? And she said, well, look at me. I'm not capable of keeping my baby. And I said, um, well, let's see, maybe you are. And I said, so let's talk a little while. So we continued to talk. And I said, well, let's go ahead and see what's happening here. And so she was pregnant and she stayed with me. She, a lot of times when they find out they're pregnant uh, and they're disturbed about mm -hmm. it, they, they bolt, mm -hmm. they actually bolt. And this time she didn't, and she stayed with me for a very long time. And I said, well, if you dried out, if you went to a facility and she said, well, I, I just don't think I can do that. And so, and she told me where she lived over across the river in a crack house, basically. And uh, so I asked her, 
when the time was up and I knew she was ready to go, I offered to pray with her and she accepted that. And so I prayed with her and um, let the Lord lead that. It was, I don't even remember what I said. And she left. And I walked out on the sidewalk with her, which I don't normally do. And we hugged each other. And I said, I'll be praying for you. And she said, thank you. And that was in the winter. And that summer, somebody called from the uh, downstairs and said, somebody wants to come surprise you. And I said, okay, in walked this woman. She was gorgeous. She was beautiful. Her hair was shiny and gorgeous. She had on a flowing white dress. I'll never forget the dress. She looked at me and she said, do you remember me? And I said, I sure do, but you must have a story. And I got up from behind my desk and sat down with her and she sat across from me and she said, when I got, when I got home, when I got over to that house, she said, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't sleep. And when, when it got daylight, I went to my aunt's house and she said, I said, I'm pregnant. I want to have this baby and I need to dry out. Can I stay here and go through withdrawal? Can you imagine say, having oh, someone wow. say that to you? Yeah. Can you imagine the aunt taking her in and knowing what and she God would go through? Her. So day after day, this is her story, what she told me. She said, day after day, she said, I would take long, long walks. And she said, because my nurse, you know, I was, mm -hmm. I needed drugs and I just kept walking. I, I just, everything I knew I should do. And she said, in the evening, I walked past this strip mall, this small strip mall that pretty much was deserted, but there was a church in one of them and they were in the back room and they were there every night. And every night I'd walk by and they'd be singing hymns. And she said this one night I walked in and she said, I just thought I'm going in. And she walked in. And when she got to the doorway to the back room, she said, the preacher was saying, if you want to have Jesus in your heart, come forward. And she said, Miss Janet, I just kept going. I just kept going. And she said, um, I'm here to invite you to my graduation of something. She said, I've kept my baby. He's a boy. I want you to meet him. But she said that pastor happened to have, this is how God works. She said, my pastor happened to have a, um, have a house for people who needed to get off of drugs and alcohol. And she said that night after I accepted Christ as my savior, I signed a contract with his, his program. And she said, you know, part of the art of getting off of it was prayer. The other part was a lot of hard work and Bible study. And she said, um, I'm finished with that program, and I'd like you to come there. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to cry. She said, I'd like you to come there um, while I graduate and be there with me. And I did, and it was beautiful. But that's only one story of something like that. I mean, I've been to a lot of college graduations of girls that hadn't finished high school. Yeah. They kept their baby yeah. because they came to the center. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm proud to be a part of that. Well, well we're all crying in the room by <laughs> right now. <laughs> um, you know, one of the issues, and I, I'm going to get to the policy, and I want to hear about, you know, the vandalism. We could go on and on today, but um, I want to talk a little bit about adoption because, uh, you know, listen, my brother is, uh, was adopted at six, by my parents at six years old, so I'm a sister of adoption, and uh, I have two children, but I, I always thought at some point we would adopt and that hasn't happened. Maybe it'll be a teenager at some point <laughs> or something that we'll get involved with. But I know one of the things that I've, you know, the other side hurls at us is that, yeah, you only want babies. You all only want, ba you know, whatever. And yes, there are, there are 
probably hundreds of thousands of parents who would like to adopt a little mm -hmm. baby. Um, I don't think that our society has done a good job, and I don't think even the church has done a good job of talking about adoption as, as well as we should be. I think it was more common. I think because abortions become more common, adoptions become less common. But also, I just recently had just the blessing of being involved in someone who reached out and said there's a young, a little girl, she's nine, she's biracial, um, she lives with her grandmother, but her grandmother's dying. And her grandmother's wish is that for her to be adopted and for them to find a Christian family for her. The mother was a drug addict and there had been complete termination of parental rights, which is a whole nother story. But, you know, there are a lot of kids on foster in foster care that can't be adopted because the system, I believe, has not done the right thing by that kid. They've looked out for the mother who we care about and we love, but the party has to be the little girl or the little boy who is waiting for a forever family. So, I mean, how many times do you wait for her? to get sober, you know, mm -hmm. back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And so um, that is part of the reason we have. And then by the time the kid is available for adoption, the poor thing is so broken and so damaged. And, you know, parents worry about violence. That was right. one of the things that came up, you know, when we were looking at adopting an older child and so, uh, or even fostering at some point. And so, um, but I do think what I, what I found out with this situation where I was, you know, trying to help facilitate, I had dozens of parents begging for this little girl. I mean, dozens. I had a family drive all the way up from Florida to try to, you know, like, yeah, to try to like, it was somebody who worked for a church and his wife and, you know, they were older, they were older getting married. And so they weren't having kids. Every, everybody wanted her. And so she's gotten a beautiful family that has another daughter that's like her age. And, you know, it's really, I've just, it's been beautiful how I've seen it come together. So, you know, I don't agree that there's not opportunity for adoption. I honestly think that our system, our welfare system is broken, but I would love to hear from you as somebody who's again on the front lines, working with young women who are um, perhaps abortion minded, thinking about Kim Michelle, like what is, what is the situation with adoption these days? Do you, is it front and center? Are people thinking about it? It seems less common than it used to be, but you know better than I do. Well, I can only speak for the Capitol Hill Pregnancy Center and keep in mind that wherever you're located, you have your own set of demographics. That's right. And so in Washington, D.C., um, in all the years I've been there, in the 19 plus years I've been there, I have never met someone in, that was thinking about abortion who would consider adoption. They would either abort or keep. But, but, and, and I've come to this conclusion, and I, I'm not an expert, so you can't say that I'm an expert on this but they seem to equate it to foster care. And there's mm -hmm. a lot of, of some not good foster care stories That's and right. there's many good ones. But <clears throat> some of my clients have actually either experienced bad foster care themselves, know somebody, had a sibling in foster care that you know, was unhappy or had something mm -hmm. and adoption, nothing we've ever been able to explain to any of our clients have ever except a few. Mm -hmm. And we've had, we've had two, two in 19 years, I've only had two people that got really close to putting their baby up for adoption because they, for them, they knew it was the right thing for their child. Mm -hmm. These were two very sacrificial women. And each time, the father of the baby stopped it. And then she had to still keep the baby when she couldn't afford the child. One woman had four other children and felt in her heart she was doing the right thing to, to put her baby up for adoption. A family was waiting for that baby. 
And when the when they came like two days before the adoption would have would have taken place, and he interfered, and yet he's not forced to pay. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind, he's not forced to pay any child care of any kind. He doesn't do anything to help in any way. And she now had five children. Okay, we've got a to do right there. I mean, you know, I on a policy level, if you're going to interfere with the termination of parental rights, you're you're not allowing the mother to. Uh, allow for adoption, then you should have to help pay for the child. And so I think that we got a lot of work to do there. One of the policy um, issues that I just want to get out there, um, as we're waiting for the overtone of Roe, and we've prayed for it now since CWA's inception, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we've been waiting as pro-life Americans for almost 50 years. And so we're going to be on a state-by-state basis now, and alternatives are going to be all the more important. And that's really where we're focused now. We're kind of turning this towards the state. We're bringing all of our state women in, our leaders, for a training in September. And really, the sort of the idea is life after row and what our responsibilities are and what, you know, the, the work that we're going to need to do going forward. One of the policy proposals that I, there's, there's really a couple that I'll just highlight right now. One is uh, the idea of life.gov. And um, this came about because Texas signed, you know, uh, appropriated $100 million for abortion alternatives. And we need to do that all over the country. And there's a lot of alternatives already exist. And so I said to someone who was one of the sponsors of the bill, I'm like, where all exactly did that go? And he's like, and he really didn't know exactly. And I said, well, you know, why do we, we could, everything's on the internet. Why don't we have one place? There needs to be one place that is, I believe, facilitated by HHS because HHS, it has so much money that if it were a country, we'd be number six in the world in its GDP. That's how much money yeah. they have. <clears throat> so we need to actually have a resource that's put together by floors of people who have nothing but bad stuff to do and time on their hands, right? And actually put together so a young mom can put in a young woman who's facing a pregnancy she didn't expect can put in her zip code and see all the alternatives that are around her. And then we can see, what are we missing? Where are the holes? What do we need to shore up? Where do the, where do local churches need to fill in? We need to know public and private options. We need, need to know everything we've talked about today, all the, you know, legal help and housing and, and health care and job training and, you know, educational resources and scholarships, like all of that, I want to know in one place. And so we're working on that legislatively awesome. on the federal level. Um, and also we want to make sure that every state is teaching fetal development in our school system. Absolutely. The kids need to understand they should, what you show them shouldn't be the first time they've seen that. They should know. I mean, I think it changes everything when they understand I'm potentially creating a life. Well, what does that mean? I think it really, really perhaps brings some nuance to the discussion if there's some real education there. And of course, we'll be working on the state by state level to, to limit abortion, prohibit abortion like that. We, we believe that life begins at conception and we should protect it from conception to natural death. And, you know, having that argument and having that conversation looks like different things in different states. And, you know, of course, there's states like New York and California. It's a much heavier lift, but we'll be working alternatives and making sure that it's not just about 
you know, the legal challenges. It's also about creating a culture of life and making abortion unthinkable. I mean, it's barbaric practice. Let's recognize what it is and help people make better choices. And, and we, we're just crazy enough to believe that we can do it. And we've seen God do a miracle right. as we stand here on the precipice of the end of row. Talk to me a little bit. So we, I, in the teaser, I talked about Jane's Revenge, which is basically a terrorist, domestic terrorist organization who is targeting uh, pregnancy care centers and pro-life organizations. This is what they put out just, I guess, the other day. Jane's Revenge has declared open season on pro-life organizations like mine and also pregnancy care centers like yours, which is outrageous that the very people who are kindly offering help to women are the ones that they're targeting. So tell us what that what happened to you. Well, it would be two weeks ago tomorrow morning, and I work at home on Fridays because um, the rest of the staff is a four-day week, mm -hmm. and I get more done at home. I get a phone call from a neighbor who said, there's red paint all over your front door and graffiti on the walls of your building. And I jumped in the car, and I headed in, and I called 311, and I told uh, the poli DC police, and the woman, the dispatcher said, um, uh, I said, I'm 40 minutes out. She said, call me, when, call when you get closer so that, because if they go and you're not there, they'll go, they'll leave. And I said, okay. So I get, get to the pregnancy center. As I'm driving by it, I see the red paint on the front door. It broke my heart, actually. It just broke my heart that anybody could be this cruel. Um, and it just, you know, it just sad was what one initial, my initial reaction was. And I parked the car, got out of the car. In the meantime, I had called the police and he wasn't, hadn't arrived, but he soon arrived. But I looked at that and I thought that blood belongs on the door of an abortion clinic. Mm -hmm. We don't shed blood at the Capitol Hill Pregnancy Center. And I th said that to myself. And then I walked away from it and I said, Lord, you're going to have to give me grace in this and help me through this because I don't know what to do next. And I turned around and then all at once that red paint became the blood of the lamb over the door of the, like the Israelites for protection. And I claimed that for protection for the Capitol Hill Pregnancy Center. And I, um, I was so proud of the police. They came, the first man came and then he called and he said, this is pretty big. And then we had, I, I quit counting how many police, the detective came, the police, the DC Metro police couldn't have been any better. And at the very end around six o'clock, this woman came up to me and said, well, we're here to, to paint over the graffiti and power wash off the red paint. And I said, who are you? She said, oh, that's our department in the police. We have this special. Oh, wow. I said, you're kidding. And she said, no. And I said, well, thank you. And it, when I left, it was like it had never happened. Oh. And I was just so grateful that it, you know, so, um, you know, but again, what with what you've just read and the threats that have come out recently, we don't, you know, who knows what's going to happen to anybody, mm -hmm. you know, in the days to come. Well, and of course, our story is that we've had uh, a, a man who, and it's funny how these tend to be men, because I've seen the videos that are doing this, right? They're sticking up for women or whatever by, by uh, victimizing women. Right. Um, but we have a man who was not unknown to us. He had been harassing our staff now for a while and like, you know, make mainly gestures and yelling at us and calling us names and those kind of things. And then he, and we have security, we have security cameras everywhere and I have armed security now, but, um, uh, you know, then it, then it ramped up after the leak for the Dobbs decision, the Alito opinion. Um, and he, you know, ripped off, defaced our building, urinated on our building, exposed himself on our video camera. And we, I've been advised by the Attorney General of uh, Virginia's office, not 
the attorney general, but by his office to make sure that we have armed security. Um, and I, I assume that you all are, are taking some precautions as well. We're moving, <clears throat> we're moving in the direction of, of upgrading some security well, situations. Well, it's probably a good time for all of us yep. to be doing that, but it's expensive. And so I would recommend people that are listening that are so inclined to give towards specifically towards right. that effort for a Capitol Hill Pregnancy Center and for CWA to contribute, we'd really appreciate it because it is expensive to do, but it has to be done. We have to protect our employees and, um, and you have to protect your clients as well. And so it's really important, but it's just so morally bankrupt. It is so morally bankrupt that the very people who are so proud of their, their pro, and this is not pro-choice people, these are pro-abortion people, um, that they would choose to victimize and harass the very people that are giving help to the least of these. And, um, and so I just, you know, thank you for your work. And well, you're welcome. <laughs> I, I just really, I'm so sorry that that happened. But Jane's Revenge has, you know, again, targeted exactly organizations like ours. And then you have the other organization that's uh, called Ruth sent us, but Ruth didn't, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg would never have been in favor of what they're doing, the protests in front of the Supreme Court justices' house, houses, their homes, threatening their families. And of course, we had Brett Kavanaugh, who's, uh, who had someone actually try to kill him and perhaps his family. Um, this has become very violent. So I would just ask everyone that's listening to pray and to pray for our nation and to pray for the work that, you know, we're all respectively doing but God sees. And um, with that, I would just love for uh, you to tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you, how they can give to your organization. Uh, what's the best way to follow what you're doing? Well, the best way to follow what we're doing is get on our webpage and they can uh, give by way of Network for Good or by PayPal, or they could send a check to, to the Capitol Hill Pregnancy Center or call me and um, call the center and ask for me and give a credit card number over the phone, which will destroy as soon as we run it. Uh, those are some things. But then also there's, there's uh, that's monetary, but there's still, we have four young women today that are getting their high school uh, credit hours uh, and they're volunteering today and we're doing a mailing and there. So we have, we have tons of needs for volunteers to not just be client advocates, not just help, um, you know, babysit when we're teaching a parenting class. Uh, we have we have a need for people just to help us clean, like young adults from St. Peter's uh, on Second Street in Washington. Every every month they come in and clean the building. That's so and um, you know so there's just a lot of things we. The well, that's list is like very a long, that's so. like a financial gift because it costs yeah, it to have a cleaning crew. So it that's is. fantastic, it and yeah. it's service. So it's right. so important. Right. Well, Janet, thank you well, thank so you. much. I've thank you for pregnancy this. care center. Yeah, and, and I love everything you do. So thank you. Well wishes. God bless you, sister. Thank you. All right. That, that is the end of our podcast for concerned women today. Be sure you follow concerned women today. Recommend us to your friends and have them follow us. Also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our websites concernedwomen.org. Thank you and God bless.